I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. Our scripture today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, verses 24 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. From there he set out, and he went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there. Yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him. And she came and she bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home and found the child lying in the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went by way of Sidon towards the Sea of Galilee in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a deaf man who had an impediment in his speech And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And he took him aside in private, away from the crowd, and put his fingers into his ears. And he spat and touched his tongue. And then, looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was released and he spoke plainly. Then Jesus ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. They were astounded beyond measure, saying, He has done everything well. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen.
these next few weeks as we begin to regather in this new rhythm as a church and start to transition in, into Hayfield, we're rooting ourselves in the Gospel of Mark in this five-week series that we're calling Risky Business. And you'll see this kind of trend throughout the scriptures because verse after verse after verse in Mark, it just seems like following Jesus is a a bit risky. And today we enter Mark's gospel with the story of the Syrophoenician woman. And this, this story, the story of healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter is this significant story in Mark's gospel. In fact, it has this way of, of summing up all the miraculous events that come before it, that are situated around it. And yet the words of Jesus here are harsh and a bit indiscernible. It it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs, Jesus says. Does Jesus call this woman in despair a dog? It's, It's indiscernible. And yet it is such an important story. So why is it important? What's going on here? Well, this story in chapter 7 also happens to be equidistant, kind of bookended by two, the two most decisive miracles in all of Mark's gospel. And that is the feeding of the 5,000 in chapter 6 and the feeding of the 4,000 in chapter 8. And we, we can't talk about this story of the Syrophoenician woman and her demon-possessed daughter without first taking a, a closer look at these two stories. And so the feeding of the 5,000, it takes place in, in Jewish territory, and it, and it resulted in 12 baskets left over. Probably a story you know, perhaps, but, but what you may not know is that these numbers, 5 and 12, hold significance for the Jewish people because of the five books of the law and the 12 representing the 12 tribes of Israel. On the other hand, of, on the other side of today's story, we get the feeding of the 4,000, probably a story you know less, which took place in Gentile territory and resulted in seven baskets left over. And again, these numbers of four and seven are significant, four representing the four corners of the earth and seven, seven days of creation back long before the calling of Israel through Abraham as a set apart people. And now today, our scripture becomes this, this missing link for us. The Phoenicians were a widely dispersed people because their trade was, was all by the sea. And this woman is said to be a Syrophoenician woman because she was from one branch of this Gentile people, this global people. And it's the branch who'd settled to the north of Israel in the land broadly known as as Assyria. And listen to what Jesus says to this Syrophoenician woman, to this global woman. He says, let the children be fed first. 
or more literally, let the children be satisfied first. Why is the word satisfied so important? Because it it's precisely the same word that appears in the feeding of the 5,000, where it says, and all ate and were satisfied. And again, in the feeding of the 4,000, where it said, almost identically, they ate and were satisfied. And so what's happening here in this intense dialogue between, between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman is not just the climax of, of all the ways in which Jesus heals, do, does miraculous things and mark, but it's this, it's this enactment, this revelation, this transformation, this reminder that from Jesus being the, the Messiah for the Jewish people to Jesus being the Savior of the whole world. So did you hear the debate between Jesus and the woman? It, it starts as a conversation about, about healing, right? But Jesus quickly turns it into this debate about food. In just the same way, in, in the two feeding stories, Jesus crystallizes the, the whole question about the extent and the depth of his mission into this drama about food. Jesus comes first to the Jews. They're hungry, and then they are satisfied. Jesus has an argument with a Gentile woman, and he says, let the Jews be satisfied first, and then we'll worry about the Gentiles. And the Syrophoenician woman says, but you've got more than you need for the Jews. You've got enough to feed the whole world with the leftovers, the crumbs even. And I'm hungry. I'm hungry, hungry for the food that only you can give, Jesus. And the, then Jesus comes to the Gentiles. They're hungry and, and they're satisfied too. And what these feeding stories tell us visually with their images of, of baskets of leftovers, this conversation tells us verbally with its words about feeding the Gentiles with the crumbs that are left over from the Jews. The first feeding tells us after Jesus had fed the Jews, there's plenty left over for the Gentiles. Then the second feeding story tells us that, that after satisfying the Gentiles, there's, there's still plenty left over. But today's, today's story seems to tell us that that's, that's all very good and well. There may be plenty left over, but, but that's not always what it feels like, right? Remember, remember we start with Jesus getting a long way away from the action. Tyre uh, is way up in Yankee territory where it's just all Gentiles up there. there there's not a lot of Jews around. It says he didn't want anyone to know he was there. He, he's a long way from Israel and he's keeping a low profile. So no one should be bothering him, right? Wrong. But here's this woman. Here's this woman breaking every cleanliness code in the book. Bursting in through closed doors and spending time alone with a male stranger 
And she's breaking national boundaries as a Phoenician. She's breaking religious boundaries as a Gentile. She's breaking gender boundaries as a woman. She's breaking courtesy and, and propriety boundaries as a person who won't respect a Messiah when, when he needs a bit of space. And the degree of transgression, the degree of risk she's asking from Jesus matches her own. He's already crossed a territorial line by being in, in the lands north of the land of Israel. She's asking him to take on the boundary of the demonic by encountering her daughter now too. And she raises the whole issue of food laws, the most rampant debate in Jewish-Gentile relations by all her talk of giving food to the dogs. Last week we read the previous passage where Jesus breaks these breaks through these dietary laws by declaring all foods clean, but but now he makes an even more radical step, a risky step by declaring all eaters of food clean. That means that means salvation can apply to the Gentiles. They too can become, can become members of the inrushing kingdom. They too can eat and be satisfied at the Lord's table, which is exactly what is depicted happening a few verses later when the 4,000 are fed. By presenting this miracle as the, <coughs> the, the synthesis and, and the climax of of many previous miracles, by piling up the symbolism of numbers and settings, by noting the wave upon wave of gendered and national and religious and dietary and decorous and demonic and territorial pressures on Jesus. The story is portraying Jesus and through Jesus, Israel has been overwhelmed by the inrushing need and longing of the Gentiles for God. Just overwhelmed by it all. There is so much God, so much grace, so much kingdom, so much forgiveness, so much eternal life, all crystallized by the astonishing abundance of two feedings and the many baskets that are left over from these feedings. This is risky for Jesus, and this is risky for us. Because while the gospel is one of overflowing glory, here we get the, the other side of the story, too. The sense of, of drowning and overwhelming anxiety. The woman in this story represents the simple truth that the gospel means overwhelming grace. And Jesus' reaction reflects Israel's fear that overwhelming grace means overwhelming anxiety too. Here's the challenge of this story to us today. On the one hand, we see the woman with her simple, persistent demand that Jesus take the logic of the gospel to its obvious conclusion. She may be high maintenance. She may be a disciple with more elbow activity than we'd, let, 
than we think is polite or well-mannered or respectful, but she's obviously right. And here, on the other hand, is Jesus, representing the ancient loyalties of Israel to, to be set apart and so reflect the holiness of God understood in the Torah of the Jewish law. Now let me ask you this. Why is it, when we read this story, why is it we, all, we always assume we are, we are the Jews in this story? Why do we expend all of our energy on willing Jesus to be more generous in this story? And suppressing our dismay that he's so rude to this woman. And wondering how Israel could be so small-minded as to keep salvation to itself. That way the story merely underwrites our, our kind of managerial reading of the gospel. That granted it's clearly intended for everybody. But that, that's going to take a huge amount of administration and infrastructure. And it's inevitably all going to fall on us to do it. So please bear with us. We're getting there, but, but privately we're overwhelmed with anxiety. And, and the gospel is just really too much for us. Instead, we, why don't we identify with the woman? Knocking, knocking and nudging and demanding and teasing and even flirting our way to get to Jesus's attention and let us into the kingdom for God's sake, literally for God's sake. But when we read this story, why, why don't we identify with the woman? That's the question the story puts to us today. Is it because everything in us is trying so hard to avoid seeing ourselves as beggars? When we read this story, why don't we identify with the woman? This story is offering us the gospel, but it's up to us, for us, how we hear it. If we assume salvation belongs to us, our, our gospel is going to be one of entitlement and responsibility. But if we allow ourselves to be like this pleading woman, our gospel is one of astonished grace. That God has, has bent his ear even to us and showered upon us healing and forgiveness and eternal life. Both of these gospels describe degrees of overwhelming, but, but only one of them is one of joy. And then, and then today our passage ends with, with Jesus' ironic gesture of, of releasing a man's tongue and then telling him to say nothing to anyone about it. Mark tells us, the more he ordered them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Which, which really just means that the gospel is risky. It cannot be contained. You can't put a lid on it when it's infectious and an addictive character make things out of control. Whoever you are, Jew or Gentile or synagogue leader or mother of a demon-possessed child, the gospel is going to overwhelm you. It is. And, and it may be that right now you are feeling 
you are feeling completely overwhelmed. It may be that you, you've come here today precisely for a bit of peace and quiet because you're feeling totally overwhelmed because your domestic or your professional or your relational or your all of life is overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with the pressures of trying to be kind and generous through it all without becoming totally exhausted and humiliated and bankrupt. Well, I've got news you don't want to hear today. Maybe you're reading this story from the wrong, the wrong point of view. The gospel is all about being overwhelmed. But not by responsibility and anxiety and strategic administrative chores. The gospel is all about being overwhelmed by the discovery that there's room in the kingdom, even for one like you. That's what the Syrophoenician woman discovers in this story. If church or Christianity has become for you just one burden among others, dragging you down into, into bewildered exhaustion, maybe it's time you started reading the story from her point of view. You can't control the gospel. You can't keep it under control. The gospel is all about being overwhelmed. But are you being overwhelmed by burdens or by grace? I offer this to you today in the name of God the Father, in the name of Christ his Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? God, we come here today overwhelmed and we, we are longing to not be overwhelmed. We want to get it. We want to, we want to be people who are, we want to be good people. We want to be people who have our lives under control. And yet the gospel, we learn the risky part of the gospel is that no matter what it, it overwhelms, it overwhelms us. That, that, that normalcy and balance and, and having things under control is a myth. But that by living and walking with you, Jesus, we will be overwhelmed. The question is, what will be, we be overwhelmed by? Will it be overwhelmed by the duty? By the burden? Like, like Jesus in this story? Or, or will we be overwhelmed like the Syrophoenician woman? Will we be overwhelmed, God, by your, by your grace? We long to be overwhelmed by your grace so that we can live in abundant joy. And we, we pray that prayer that you taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen.